In Colossians chapter 1, we saw that this is the mystery that was hidden, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul declared that we are complete in him, complete in Christ, Christ who is the head of all principality and power. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul exhorts us to set our mind on things above, to seek those things above where Christ is seated, to set our mind on things above, not so that our life would be less meaningful here on earth, but so that our life would be more meaningful and we would know how to walk and to live out this faith that's been given to us by God. We come to Colossians chapter 4. And in Colossians chapter 4, Paul addresses some very practical things. So let's read the chapter together. Colossians chapter 4. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, there are my, they, these are my fellow, or my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So in this chapter, the very first verse Paul gives this command, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And that is coming from chapter 3, where Paul talks to 
husbands, he talks to wives, he talks to children, he talks to fathers, and he talks to slaves. And he says, slaves, obey your masters according to the flesh. But then he tells the masters, give to your slaves what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So as we give to those here, as we do to those here, Paul is saying, remember, there is one that will repay in kind if you are not walking properly and not walking in faith and not honoring God. Then from verse 2 to verse 6, that's really where we're going to pay spend our time today. Once you get to verse 7, Paul begins to end his letter and make personal notes and greetings and salutations to those uh, that are going to be receiving the letter, giving instruction about how the letter is to be received, where it's to be read, and, and, and that interaction. What I really want to concentrate on in chapter 4 are these verses from verse 2 to verse 6. So let's look at those and let's see what Paul is writing to the church in this city, but also writing for us today. Father, as we have read this section of your word, as we look into this letter, as we look into this gospel, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds that your word would have entrance and your word would do a miraculous thing, a miraculous work of transformation, that your word would wash us, that it would renew our mind, that it would conform us to the very image of Christ. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Do this, Father, we ask that your church, that your people in the earth would be a glory to you and a witness to you for all. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read these first, these uh, few verses here, starting in verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. There's three words that stick out to me in these verses. It's prayer, it's walk, and it's speech. So Paul addresses these three areas of our life. How we are to pray, how we are to walk, and how we are to talk. So he says, in your prayers, continue earnestly, being vigilant in it, being vigilant in your continued praying with thanksgiving. And then he also adds to that, pray for us that God would open doors for the word that Christ would be manifestly known to the people that we proclaim the gospel to. So Paul talks about our praying. He says, in your walk, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That is, those who are outside the church. In other words, those who are unbelievers. 
He says, walk wisely, redeeming the time. Now this implies, he says specifically, walk wisely, walk with wisdom toward those who are outside. So this implies that we are to know and to understand how we are to walk with those who are inside. We don't have the same relationship with those who are inside as we do with those who are outside. And Paul is saying, don't just contain yourself in this little bubble with all your Christian friends and barricade yourself inside the church, but walk with wisdom with those who are outside. Walk wisely, redeeming the time. So he addresses, he addresses our prayers, he addresses our walk, and he addresses our speech. So in your speech, he says, let it always be with grace. Let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Let it be with grace, seasoned with salt. Or we could say it like this. Let it be with grace, seasoned with the truth. Let it be truth. Let it be uncompromised truth, not watered-down truth, not diluted truth, but let it be in truth with grace. In your speech, he says, you should know how to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So the matter of our prayer life, the matter of our walk, and the matter of our speech all go to the heart of our communion with God and our communion with one another. Now, when we use the word communion, we often think of this table, and rightly so. But communion is defined as an act or an instance of sharing. It's also described as intimate fellowship. So communion is the sharing or the exchange of intimate thoughts or feelings. Communion involves fellowship. It's the interaction that we have with God and the interaction that we have with one another. So let's talk about our fellowship. Communion involves our fellowship with God and with others. Our fellowship with God in prayer. Paul said, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Our fellowship with God in prayer is possible because we are in Christ. I want you to understand this. We have been given the privilege to commune with God in prayer, to fellowship with Him in prayer because we are in Christ. Having been brought into Christ has ushered us into the very presence of God. Having been brought into Christ has paved the way for us to come boldly before the throne of grace. John says it like this in his letter, and this is love, that in the day of judgment we have boldness, we have confidence, because as he is, so are we in this world. That is coming to the throne of grace with boldness. As Christ is, so are we in this world. Not because we have earned that spot. Not because we have modified our behavior to the point that now our behavior mirrors Christ's behavior. No. 
We are as he is because he has imparted and imputed his righteousness to us. We learned about this today in in Sunday school and talking about we are saved by faith alone. That the righteousness that God has given to us, the holiness that God has given to us is alien. It's not from us. It doesn't come from us. It comes from without. It is other than we are. This is the picture that the Bible consistently paints for us. This is why Abraham was counted righteous because Abraham trusted in the righteousness of another. This is why Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God, but Cain's was rejected because Cain brought the works of his hands, but Abel brought the sacrifice, brought the life of a lamb. In other words, Cain trusted in what he could do in his life, and Abel brought to God the life of another, signifying that his faith was not in himself, but his faith his faith was in that which was other than himself. And this is what we must do. Our faith must be in one other than ourself. Our faith and our righteousness comes from outside of ourselves, given to us from someone other than ourselves. This is how we are able to come to God in prayer because God has given to us his righteousness and brought us into his presence having justified us, looking at us just as if I or you had never sinned. Counting us holy, not because we are, but because Christ is and we are in him. When you or I touch something unclean, we become unclean. But when Christ touches us, we become holy. When Christ brings us into him, and when he comes to reside in us, we become holy. Our fellowship with God in prayer is possible because we are in Christ. And in Christ, we have the grace to commune with God. And our communion and our fellowship with God in prayer is to be, as Paul says, continuous. It's to be earnest and sincere. It is to be with vigilance. And it is to always be with thanksgiving this is what paul writes in philippians 4 when he says be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving it is to be faith filled our prayers are to be faith filled as we seek god's glory in the propagation of the gospel i love what something caleb said today in Uh, in Sunday school, in the Bible study, that our faith is not in the outcome of our prayers. Our faith is in God. When we pray, when we put our 
faith in God. When we go to God in prayer, our prayers should be faith-filled, not because we're going to get a certain outcome, but because we have been privileged to go to God, to the very throne of grace, and give our prayers and give our petitions to God. And we give those to God and we trust God with the outcome. Our faith is not in a certain outcome. Our faith is in a certain God. Our fellowship with God in prayer. Our fellowship with others in life. So Paul deals with this reality of our communion and our fellowship with God through prayer. But then he also says this. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. And let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And when Paul talks about our walk and our speech, he is talking about, he's giving instruction about our fellowship with others in life. And our fellowship with others is the daily practical walking out of our faith. We don't live on islands isolated. We live in the midst of a people And the daily walking out of our faith necessitates that we are going to be in fellowship and interaction with all sorts of people. Our daily walk is to be in wisdom as we redeem the time. We are to always walk and speak with grace while upholding the truth. In wisdom, we are called to know how to apply grace and truth in our communion and in our conversations in fellowship with others. Or as Paul says, that we may know how to answer each one. So how are we to pray? Continuously, earnestly, vigilantly, with thanksgiving, We should pray for the gospel to go forth through open doors, to be seen by open eyes and received by open hearts. Paul says that's how we are to pray. We are to walk with wisdom toward all, especially those who are unbelievers and outside the church. We are to walk that way with one another as the body of Christ. But Paul is giving specific instruction here that we should walk wisely in this world, in our interaction with unbelievers and those who are outside the church. We are to walk wisely, which also is walking worthy of the Lord. In Colossians 1.10, at the very beginning of this letter, Paul writes to the believers and he says, walk worthy of the Lord. Saints, we are commanded to walk worthy of the Lord. Eyes are watching us. Ears are hearing us. And we give witness to the Lord whether we realize it or not. Sometimes that witness is known. Most of the time it is unknown. We are seen by unseen eyes. We are heard by unseen and unheard ears and mouths. We are to walk wisely. We are to walk worthy of the Lord. We are to understand and redeem the time. 
we are to speak with grace seasoned with salt. Salt is important. And salt is necessary for many reasons. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he makes this, he, this metaphor of salt and light. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus declares, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt commonly used and rightly applied can be a wonderful thing. How many of you have salt in your house? Does anyone not have salt in their house? Isn't that funny? We all have salt. How many of you have salt shakers on your dining room tables? How many of you have salt in your spice pantry? How many of you have salt close to where you cook and where you prepare food? Yeah. We just take it for granted. How many of you ever put food in your mouth and said, ooh, man, this needs some salt? That's what I usually do. How many of you ever put food in your mouth and said, ooh, this is way too salty? We've done that too, right? Yeah. Salt commonly used and rightly applied not only makes our food more enjoyable, it is required in its preparation. Do you know, I've told you this before, you know where the word salary comes from? How many of you earn a salary? I mean, whether you work for someone else, or you work for yourself, whether you're getting a pension, or whether you write your own check from your own business, in a sense, you get a salary, right? And that word salary comes from the ancient custom they used to pay people with salt. Salt was the currency Salt was so necessary for life that men worked to receive salt. That was their payment. How many of you would love at the end of your 40 to 60 hour work week, love it if you went to your employer and they gave you a big bag of salt and said, here's your payment, here's your salary. You say, what? What is this? Are you crazy? You wouldn't like that very much, would you? Yet, we all have salt. We all pay money to have salt in our homes, and we use it all the time for all kinds of things. Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. And that admonition, always with grace, seasoned with salt, is that right application in our conversations. Remember, not enough salt, your food doesn't taste right. Too much salt, your food doesn't taste right. So you want it to be applied correctly in the right measure. 
Knowing how to, you ought to answer each one is like knowing if we are applying salt to cream pies or meat pies. You know cream pies require salt in the recipe. You go look for any cream pie, your favorite, coconut cream pie, chocolate cream pie, lemon cream pie, and you're going to find there's salt in that recipe. It may just be it may just be a quarter teaspoon for the crust. It may just be a little bit, but there's going to be salt in that recipe. And we need to know whether we're making cream pies or whether we're making meat pies. Knowing how you ought to answer each one is knowing the difference. It's knowing whether we're making sopapillas or whether we're making enchiladas. How many of you like sopapillas? Hot melted butter, warm honey. Those sopapillas have salt in them, but they don't have the same amount of salt as your enchiladas did or your chili or even your beans. It's knowing if we're making sopapillas or enchiladas. They all require salt, but not in the same application or measure. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you will know how to answer each one. Now, not only have I informed you on how you should answer, how to think about that, but I've also just given you a lot of ideas about our potluck Christmas dinner. Cream pies, meat pies, sopapillas, enchiladas chili, beans. <laughs> Sauce it. No, just bring them all. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put a practical application to this sermon next Saturday night right here in this room. How we pray, how we walk, how we speak are all extremely important for our life and for our witness to Jesus Christ. They go to the heart of our call and our commission to be and to make disciples. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we think that only applies to preachers or evangelists or missionaries or apostles or prophets or professional, professional ministers? Jesus didn't qualify any of that in that way. Jesus spoke to his disciples, but he spoke for all who would believe in him, for all who would count themselves to be his disciples and his command is that we are to all go and make disciples. We are commanded to be disciples and we are commanded to make disciples in how we pray and how we walk and how we talk is going to determine greatly how we carry out that call and that commission. We often think of this in terms of 
setting aside several hours on a Saturday and going door knocking and giving out tracts. And we have visions of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who, who we hide from because we don't want to have to answer the door and get into a conversation. We translate that into somehow Jesus' command for us to make disciples, and that's, that's not what it is to look like. You may go knock on doors. I'm not saying don't do that. But if that's, all, if that's the only concept you have of making disciples, you've, you've missed it. And this is why Paul applies this in a very practical way, how we pray. Paul says, pray without ceasing in one of his pastoral letters. How do we do that? It's not that we're to set aside 24 hours in our day and hide in our closets and never come out and pray 24-7. It's that we go through life, we live our daily life with an attitude of prayer. That we live our daily life conscious of our need, of our dependence upon God, and that we are constantly recognizing our need for Him. When we fail, when we falter, when we sin, when we succeed, we give Him glory. We go to Him because He's our constant help in time of need. We go to Him because He's made a way for us to come to the throne of grace. He's not going to reject us. He's not going to push us away. He's going to embrace us. He has embraced us in Christ. It's not that you're trying to get ready to come to God. If you are in Christ, you have already come to Him. You've already been ushered into His presence. He has embraced you in the love of His Son. And He will never shun you and never push you away. And if we live with this knowledge and understanding of who we are in Christ, this is how we live our lives, praying without ceasing because we are never, God is never outside of our thoughts. He's never outside of our minds. He's never outside of the things that we are involved in, that we get our hands dirty with every day. He is a part of that. He's an integral part of that. how we walk, how we live our daily life, how we interact with people, whether it's in the grocery store or whether it's our family members. Whether it's rejoicing with them or whether it's lamenting because they've entered into a very hard place, a very dangerous place. What do we do with that? We, we give them to God. In every way. When we live out our life, as we go through our days, as we do our work, as we play, whatever, as we raise our children, as we interact with our families, this is our walk. Your walk is your life. Know how to walk with the brothers and the sisters, but know how to walk in this world and walk wisely, Paul says, and walk redeeming the time, how you walk is going to affect how you are a disciple and how you make disciples. It's intensely practical. You are, you are 
living out discipleship in ways you don't even consciously realize just by living your life every day. But I promise you, God is absolutely conscious of it. God is absolutely in control of it. And so Paul is saying, don't just go through life in some mindless, haphazard way, but go through life in a purposeful way. Pray purposefully. Pray vigilantly. Do what you do with purpose and understand that what you do from your prayers to the way you live your life to the way you speak and the way you talk absolutely make a difference. And it absolutely affects how you will carry out that commission Jesus gave each one of us to go into all the world and make disciples. These go to the heart of our call and our commission. These go to the heart of the mandate God created you and I for, which is that we would bring Him glory. How you pray, how you walk, how you talk, will bring God glory one way or another. I hope it's in the the good way. The way that is going to end up being for your good as you become a partaker of His glory. Christ in you is your hope of glory. So your prayer, your walk, and your speech are so very important. And if we understand that we have been given a gift, if we understand that we are not righteous because of what we have done, but we are righteous because of what Christ has done, if we begin to understand and comprehend that what we have is because we have Christ, but more importantly, because Christ has us it will revolutionize the way we live our lives it will revolutionize the way we think the way we handle difficult situations the way we handle impossible seemingly impossible situations well they they're impossible for us but there's not anything that's impossible for god do you believe that do you trust that Is your faith, is your prayers, is your walk, is your talk all about getting the right outcome? Or is it about glorifying your God? Do you leave the outcomes with God and just put your faith in Him and trust that He will bring about the outcome that He desires? That He will bring about the outcome that will ultimately most glorify Him? And our faith is not in our limited ability to comprehend. And therefore, we're dead set on a certain outcome in a certain way in a certain time. Or do we just say, God, that is beyond me. My hope and my trust and my faith is in you, God. And I give this to you and I trust you with the outcome. Because God is going to always do what is most glorifying to Him. 
And for you and I who are in Christ, what is best for us is what is most glorious for him. Amen? So in your praying and your walking and in your talking, may they glorify God. May you be wise and may you walk worthy of the Lord of glory. Let's get ready and come to the table. Amen. Here's your charge, church, that you would seek and know the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Seek those things above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Seek and know the mystery of Christ. Christ not dwelling in a heaven far away, but Christ dwelling in you. And your hope of glory is present. Seek and set your mind on the reality of Christ in you. And you in Christ, which is the reality of our salvation by grace through faith. You have received grace, so give grace. You are called salt, so flavor all around you. Pray and walk and talk wisely, vigilantly, and continuously in a worthy manner with thanksgiving. Seek daily His glory, for Christ is in you and you are in Him. So make it so for your glory, for His glory. Father, we ask that You would make this so for Your glory and that You would be glorified in Your church. In Jesus' name, Amen.